series called Big Questions About Life, and today we ask what to me is one of the most personal and provocative questions of all. Can I know God personally? Wow. I don't know about you, but I think that is a very provocative question because if we can know God, if God can be known personally, is there anything more important than that? I would say not. Surely that should be the goal, one of the primary focuses of everyone's life. In the Old Testament, one of Job's friends asked some probing questions. His name was Zophar, and you can see what he says on the screen here as recorded in the book of Job chapter 11. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths of the grave. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. I think Zophar is asking what humans have asked for eons. Can the finite know the infinite? Can the temporal know the eternal? Can any person really know God? Let's tackle that question today. Now, if you're taking notes, you might want to jot some of these thoughts down, and I think there's going to be a lot of substance for you today. The Bible says some pretty provocative and compelling things about knowing God. For instance, we could go here a long time, but I just want to mention a couple of verses. Jesus in the upper room when he was praying his what's called a high priestly prayer. Remember now, this is just before his crucifixion. Look at these words as recorded in John's Gospel 17. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given to him. Now here's where I want you to focus in. This is verse 3. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Notice what it says there. Eternal life is not described there as living in heaven forever and ever, as wonderful as that must be. The very essence, what eternal life is about is really knowing God. Or consider just one other verse before we pivot in another direction. I just want you to see this provocative nature of what Scripture says about God. Paul, in writing to the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians 1, says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? Why am I praying this for you, Paul says? So that you may know him better. So, According to that verse, you cannot come to know Christ merely by human reasoning. Paul says the Holy Spirit has to reveal that to you. So in our quest today, can we know God? The answer from the Bible is a resounding yes, we can, but it's not something you can come to on your own. According to Scripture, intimate knowledge of God comes through God revealing himself to us. So with that in mind, let's pivot now and talk about a couple of different kinds of knowledge about God. 
I don't know where you are on your journey. I imagine that with all those online and all those who are meeting in person today, that we're all over the place in terms of our journey with God. Scripture reveals there are two aspects to this question, and both are important. One is what you could call objective knowledge about God. This is knowing about God. So when Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, he is not, hear me, he is not simply speaking about intellectual understanding and knowledge. The book of James chapter 2 helps us understand the limits of objective knowledge. When James writes, you believe that there is one God, good, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That tells us that, look, objective knowledge about God is not enough. Even the demons have that, and it affects them emotionally. So clearly, mere intellectual knowledge about God does not make anyone a Christian. There must be something more, and we're going to get to that shortly. Now, some of you may wonder right now, well, Rex, are you devaluing knowledge? Are you dissing intellectual knowledge about God? Not at all. I'm simply saying we need to recognize its limits. So let me be very blunt right now. You can have immense theological understanding about God and still hate God. Is everybody hearing me? You can hate God's guts, as it were, and have tons of knowledge. In fact, many of the most pernicious Evil people I've ever known had significant knowledge of Scripture, but it did not mean they had yielded their life to the Lord or that they were following his plan for their lives. So, objective facts about God is a great place to start, but it's a lousy place to finish. So, what can we know about God? I'm going to give you two big phrases here. You might want to take note of these or jot them down. One, we can know the incommunicable. How's that for a big word? We can know the incommunicable attributes about God. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Our staff, you may wonder, is our staff a growing staff? Do they study and learn together? Yes, we do. Last year, in our all-staff meetings, we spent an entire year literally studying, believe it or not, the incommunicable attributes of God. We, we read this book together by Jen Wilkin. It's called None Like Him. Jen is a great author, and the subtitle of this book is 10 Ways God is Different from Us and Why That's a Good Thing. Okay, so it's a fantastic book. I recommend it to you, and in here... Among other things, she covers topics like God's eternality, his immutability, that means he doesn't change, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, and his omniscience. Now, those, why are they called incommunicable? Because these are attributes God has that we don't have. We don't have these attributes. Only God has them. Think about omniscience. There's no person who is all-knowing, right? Although I did hear about a yard sale once where an entire 32-volume set of Encyclopedia Britannica was being sold at the yard sale, 
And there was a sign beside the set of encyclopedias that read, reason for sale, husband knows everything. Now, he may have thought he knew everything, but nobody knows everything. These are incommunicable attributes of God. But notice the second kind of attributes, communicable attributes. Just take the I-N off the beginning, and these are very different, communicable. These are attributes that God has that we can also have. In fact, he wants us to have these attributes. We should be growing in these attributes. If you're a follower of Jesus, these are really important. Love, for instance. God is love. It's one of his attributes. But we can also be loving. God is merciful. Scripture says that over and over again about God, but he wants us to be merciful people, and we're urged to be in the Bible. God is holy, and God challenges us. He says, you be holy like I am holy. So please know the difference between incommunicable and communicable attributes. Aren't you glad we could talk about these big words like this and not be intimidated by them? Because they're understandable. These are objective things we can know about God. Hey, let me make a quick application, though, so that you know that truth from the Bible is always applicable to our lives. Just a quick personal application here. One of the keys to your having healthy emotions and healthy personality and healthy relationships, hear me now, is coming to peace in your own life between what you can have of these attributes and what you cannot. Let me explain. Let me give an example. For instance, when you read about God's omnipotence, if you think you can be omnipotent, you know what you're going to do? You're going to become a control freak. And you're going to drive yourself and everybody around you crazy. That's God's job. You can't be the general manager of the universe, so you and I are limited in our control. And accepting what we can control, isn't this so practical? Accepting what we can control and what we cannot control and knowing the difference is a key to peace in our life. Or... Uh, take another example of this, God's omnipresence. God is present everywhere at once, but some people think they can be too. And so what does that look like when we don't come to peace with the fact that we're not omnipresent? We overcommit ourselves. And we've got so many things going that we're constantly late and we're constantly hurrying and we're constantly rushing around and we're constantly on a frenetic treadmill like a rat in a maze or something, and all of it leads to burnout and disaster in your health and your human relationships. So I hope you get the point. We could go on and on with application because God's truth is always personal. It never is meant just to stay in our head as intellectual knowledge. There are some attributes God has that we can't have. There are others he has that he wants us to share in, and knowing the difference is the key to emotional health. So, what have we said so far? Yes, there is objective knowledge about God, and you can know about God, what God is like, but that kind of knowledge is very limited. It does not mean you have a 
watch this, does not mean you have a relationship with God just because you know about God. I want to say it again. Some of the most vile, evil, pernicious people I personally, this is my experience, have ever known actually knew an amazing amount about the Bible and about God. It doesn't mean you love God. It doesn't mean you're yielded to God at all. But knowledge about God's a good place to start. So where else do we need to go with this? Subjective knowledge. This is just my little definition. Experiencing God in your life in a way that engages more than your intellect. Ooh, this is important. Now, if you've ever really listened in, I want you to do this right now because, boy, let me tell you, I think this is relevant to people not only at Grace, but all across the Capital District and any who may be listening. Facts about God are important, but you know the people we admire? We admire the women and men who got to know God experientially. Their knowledge of God went beyond the checklist. Oh, God is omnipotent, check, I believe that. Oh, God is loving, check, I believe that. Oh, God doesn't change, check, I believe that. They went beyond that and they got to know God in their real life experience. And there was this relationship where God was revealing himself to them and they were getting to know God progressively through experience. Jesus made a, what to me is a provocative statement in John's Gospel 14. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him or her and show myself to that person. Think about that. I want you to know that you will never, listen, you will never be satisfied just knowing about God. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, boy, I grew up in the church and I learned the Apostles' Creed and, and man, I went to a Christian school and, and I had people who were religious teach me about Jesus and stuff like that. But you know, as I sit here today, there's something really unfulfilling in my soul. All this knowledge I have about God, but I'm still deeply unsatisfied. Please know this, knowing facts about God will never satisfy the deep desires in your heart and soul simply won't do it. You've got to go beyond that and begin to trust God as you experience life day by day. This is how God gets into our daily lives. Now, I could give you many biblical examples of this, but for the sake of time, we're only going to focus on one, Moses. Moses. For 80 years, Moses had objective knowledge about God. Although he was raised in the royal household of Pharaoh, you, if you know his story, you know his parents were Hebrew. He was actually Hebrew or Jewish by blood. And his mother had been not only his nursemaid, I think she had probably stayed with that role and had access to him for a number of his formative years growing up. And so, she had told him about God and who God really is. She had told him that he was Jewish by blood, that he was one of God's covenant people. And so since, since Moses was a little child, think about this, he had knowledge about God. And as we've said, that's a good place to start. 
It's just a lousy place to finish. So Moses has got this knowledge about God, and by the age of 40, he knew that his own people, the Hebrews, were suffering horribly in Egyptian bondage, and so he knew that God wanted them to be delivered, and I think he thought he was just the man to do it. And so one day, he killed an Egyptian taskmaster, buried the body, hoping no one would know, and he had to flee for his life. And Moses spent 40 years in the Midianite wilderness, basically a nobody tending sheep. But one day, when he's about 80 years old, this gets really interesting now. He's got all this knowledge about God, but suddenly he begins to experience God on a whole different level. He sees a bush burning. It bursts into flames, but the bush is not consumed. And Moses said, I'm going to go check this out. And so as he gets closer, God speaks to Moses. I know this is freaky, but this was not in his imagination. It happened in real time and space. God said, Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And whenever God's presence is being manifested like that, it is holy ground. I've heard the bitter cry of my people. I'm going to rescue them from bondage. I'm going to bring them into a land of plenty, and I am sending you, Moses, to lead them out. Moses objected. Who am I to do that? God said, Moses, I'll go with you. Moses said, I don't even really know who you are. Now, think about that. For 80 years, he's got knowledge about God, objective knowledge. But I don't even know you. I don't know who you are. What you're talking about now is beyond anything I learned in Sunday school, okay? Who are you? God says, I am that I am. I am Jehovah. I am completely sufficient for you, Moses. And you will find as you experience me, there is no reason to panic. No crisis will ever come against you. Nothing will leave you hopeless or overwhelmed. I am sufficient when you're walking with me and relying on me. Wow. Now Moses had more than just objective knowledge about God. Now he's beginning to walk with God in obedience. And so he does. He takes a step. He goes back to Egypt. He knocks on Pharaoh's door. He says, God says, let my people go. Well, why should I do that? God says you should. I don't know your God. And Pharaoh threw Moses out on his ear. And Moses goes back to God and says, God, I knew that was a bad bad idea. Bad game plan. God, I could have told you that. Didn't work. God says, Moses, go down to the Nile. And when Pharaoh comes down to the Nile, I want you to take your staff, dip it in the Nile River, and see what happens. And so Moses obeys. Again, he's walking with God now. He's acting upon the knowledge he has about God, and he's going into a subjective knowledge about God through his experience. And the water turned to blood, and the plagues began to follow, and you know there were 10 in all, and each one of them was Jehovah God saying, I am sufficient, I am sufficient. I am God over all the small gods, little g, of Egypt. 
and I will bring you out. But even though Pharaoh finally relented and let the people go, as you know, if you've heard the story, their problems weren't over. As they went out, they found themselves with their back against the Red Sea with the Egyptian army. Pharaoh now changed his mind and began to go after them. The Egyptian army is bearing down on them and they see no way out. And they call on Moses, their leader, for an action plan. And Moses simply said, do not be afraid. The Lord will fight for you. Don't be terrified. What's he saying? I'm discovering some things about God. I thought I knew all about God. But now I'm discovering that he is indeed Jehovah. He is the sufficient one. At any time, in any situation. So listen, don't panic. Chill out a little bit here. God's got this. And under God's instruction, Moses raised his staff out over the sea. The water dried up for a path for the Hebrews to go through on dry land, and the water came crashing back down on the Egyptian army who pursued them. And on the other side of the sea, the Israelites rejoiced and celebrated their great Jehovah God, the sufficient one who had destroyed the enemy and who had brought them out to freedom. He is the sufficient one. Now, let me ask you, how did they discover that? Did they discover it in a Bible study? No. They might have first heard it there. But they got to know God in a deeper, more subjective level through their experiences with him. You gotta go out on a limb in experience. They had to trust God. They had to act on what they knew, and that's how they got to know God better in a, in a different way. Now listen, why am I telling you all this? Why do you sense an urgency, or at least I hope you do, in me about this? Here's the reason. Because I'm convinced that there are many, many people at Grace, many, many people across our region and world who know a lot about God. You really do, and that's a good thing. You could go right through the creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Check. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Check. And you could go right through the creed and go, I believe all that stuff. I believe it. But do you know God? Do you know God in a way beyond what Moses knew God for the first 80 years of his life? You see, when we ask this big question today that we're asking, can I know God personally? What I want us to walk away with is a clear understanding that it's not really the robust relationship with God that God wants us to have if all we know is a few facts about him. In fact, some of the most, dis I'm just being blunt now, some of the most disillusioned, empty, listless people I've ever known in my life are some seminary students I've known who were acing their tests, knew a lot about God, could quote Hebrew and Greek to you, could dot all of their theological I's and cross all of their theological T's, 
but their lives were fairly listless and empty. Why? Because they only knew about God. And I'm just concerned, I'm just concerned that many who attend church and would call themselves followers of Christ, it's largely just a head experience. Oh, yeah, I could tell you some things. But what I want to know is, are you experiencing God? Hey, let me put it to you this way. Have you ever had your back up against the proverbial Red Sea and God came through for you? Boy, that'll help you know God. You couldn't make that rent payment, but you stepped out in faith. You trusted God, and he came through for you. Or you thought your life was destroyed by that addiction that gripped you with its claws. And yet God came through powerfully because you began to take some baby steps in obedience to what you knew. Or maybe you thought you would never, ever go beyond a hand-to-mouth subsistence living financially, but God, because you took some steps of obedience and began to cooperate with what you knew about God and about his word, and now you know God on a deeper level because you've seen him change your circumstances. Or how about this? Have you had your back up against the proverbial Red Sea of hopelessness where you felt there is just no way out of this and yet you trusted God and today you can gladly say you have a purpose in life. You know who you are. You know why you're here. You know where you're going. Objective knowledge about God is awesome, but we grow in our knowledge of God through our experiences of trusting him in our daily lives. I hope that lesson is coming through loud and clear. So let me ask you personally, are you experiencing God? Can I just, you, some of you are gonna think this is the corniest thing you've ever heard, but I'm gonna tell you what I do. Every day I invite God to come into my life. Now, I know a lot about God. I do. I, just because I've tried to learn, I know a lot about God. I could tell you all kinds of things about God. I, I know what Scripture says about him. I could quote you chapters and whole books of Scripture. I could tell you tons about God. That doesn't mean I'm experiencing God. Not at all. I could be growing cold toward God and know all that information. Every day, I start my day inviting God into my life in a fresh new way. And you may think this is corny, but literally, just to personalize it for me, I sometimes say, God, I'm going to put my hand in your hand. I know, I know this is weird, but I just put my hand out like that at the end of a prayer time, and I go, God, I put my hand in your hand. Would you take me and guide me? Because I think I know what I ought to do today, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's best a lot of the time. Would you show me? Would you guide me? I want to experience you. I want to be led by you, God, the Holy Spirit, in my life. And so would you help me to know you today on an experiential level? Friend, as a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to do that. Because at some point in our lives, we have to get out of just faith as intellectual ascent, and we have to start experiencing God in a walk 
with him. And I know many of you do that beautifully, and I applaud you for the way you live that out. Here's what I believe. I believe God is always working. Jesus said he was. Jesus said, my father's always working. And I believe that if we were just more attentive day by day, moment by moment, to the constant work of God in our daily lives, I think it would amaze us what God is actually doing. I really believe that. We would be amazed. But we've got to start walking with God in obedience and we'll start discovering what Moses and the Israelites discovered as they begin to act on their knowledge. Now, there's one final road I want to go down as we wrap up today. We're almost done. But I want to ask this question because I think some of you may be here or you may, you may have friends who are on this journey toward knowing God. That's a wonderful, exciting thing. By the way, let me say it again. If God can be known, and Scripture says he can, then there's nothing grander, nothing more exciting, nothing more important in the world than knowing God. So I want to talk about that for the last few moments we have together. Coming to know God is an organic mystery. In other words, you can't always predict how it's going to happen or how it's going to come about. In fact, I believe we live in a world where there's so much diversity in worldview and diversity in cultural values that I believe the journey to coming to know God is less formulaic than it's ever been. Let me explain what I mean by that weird word, formulaic. I grew up in a culture where coming to know God was formulaic. In other words, you could kind of predict how it was probably going to happen. Let me explain. Us little children growing up in the church I grew up in, we were taught about Jesus, right? But when we were about nine or ten, if we hadn't already professed our faith in Jesus and said, I'm going to follow him, I repent of my sins, I'm going to, I want to be born again and follow Jesus, and I want to be baptized, if we hadn't done that by the time we were nine or ten years old, they cranked up the heat on us a little bit. Are you with me here? They cranked the heat up. They got us in a little room. I'll never forget this. And they began to talk to us about what sinners we were and talk to us about what Jesus did. All true, all true, by the way. They weren't making anything up. They're just cranking the heat up a little bit to make sure we understood. And many young people at that age of nine or 10 professed faith in Christ, were baptized in water, and they said, now you know God. Now you know God. What I'm saying to you is that that sort of predictable, formulaic approach is not going to be nearly as common in our world. I hope you understand that. The culture is too diverse. The worldviews are too diverse. The experiences, it's not as homogeneous unit as it was in that particular little subculture I grew up in. So it's going to be happening in all kinds of ways. But I do believe there's some predictable thresholds that we can look at. Here's an interesting book by Don Eberts and Doug Shop. They work with college students. So boy, I admire people who work with college students. They tell about the experiences in this book. It's called I Once Was Lost. And its subtitle is What Postmodern Skeptics Taught Us About Their Path to Jesus. Or in other words, their path to coming to know God. And they talk about what they've learned through working with hundreds and hundreds of young men and women in the university setting who once were skeptical about faith, 
but eventually came to truly know God in a personal way, all right? Now, that gets my attention because the main reason this church exists is for us to know God and make him known. That's what we mean by more and better disciples, to introduce people to Jesus and help them get better acquainted with Jesus. So the authors, Everts and Shaw, point out five thresholds. I just want to mention them quickly. These are thresholds or open doors, if you will, that these students came through, and they noticed the pattern here, even though they were coming from all different ethnicities, all kinds of cultural diversity, all different kind of worldviews when they started. Number one, they went from distrust to trust. Here's the bottom line. At some point along the way, they came to trust a genuine Christian. Don't you find that amazing? That gets my, at some point, if you're gonna get to know God, you need to know a genuine Christian and learn to trust that Christian. These people are real. Second, they went from being complacent to curious. I find it provocative that Jesus is asked 183 questions in the Gospels. If you count them up, he only answers three of them, by the way. But Jesus himself asked 307 questions. Curiosity is important. Are you a curious person? You've got to go from just being blasé about it to really being curious and wanting to know God. Third, they went from being closed to change to being open to change in their life. Now, this is a biggie. It's probably the most difficult threshold for most people because really knowing God will change your life. It's a game changer, big time. And some people simply don't want the changes yet that knowing God will bring in their lives. That's just the brutal truth. Fourth, they went from meandering to seeking. From meandering to seeking. They were unwilling to be creasters. Go to church at Christmas and Easter. They were unwilling to sit passively back and go, God, if you want me, come and get me. Here I am. No, they started actively seeking God. And finally, they came to that threshold of the kingdom itself. This is where you repent of your sins and you place your faith in Christ as your Savior. So my final word to you is really a question. Where are you on that journey? Do you know God? And if you can't answer confidently that question, I would not be at rest, honestly. I would not let it go. I would not let it drop until I had a confident answer to that question. Do you know God? That's the most important thing in life. Jesus said that's what eternal life is all about. Father, thank you that we've been able to look today into your word to talk about you and how we can know you. There's nothing more important, nothing grander in this world than knowing you. And I pray for those that are on that journey, wherever they are, at whichever threshold, that you would nudge them on and draw them on and prod them on to the next level. And for all of those who know God today, I pray that we would grow deeper in that relationship. 
and we would keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To you be the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.